0: Mindset Athlete Podcast and I'm your host James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness which is an online training nutrition and mindset coaching business. First of all I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset, it's how you prepare, think and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Harth. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you, inspirational athletes, a message or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Shay Haddo. Shea is an expert coach and speaker on confidence and mindset for female athletes, having worked with hundreds of youth female athletes and collegiate teams from across the country. She's empowered girls from all walks of life to strengthen self-belief to play and live confidently. As the founder of Alpha Girl Soccer Academy, host of the Alpha Girl Soccer Podcast, and the author of the best-selling book, She the Confident, She is widely regarded for her insights on confidence and mindset by parents and coaches around the country. After overcoming her own struggles of self-doubt and lack of confidence, she knew that it was her life's calling to provide female athletes with the coaching that she wished she had. She is dedicating her life to empowering female athletes to uncover their greatest superpower of all, allowing them to break free from the limitations and achieve their biggest dreams. So welcome on the show.
1: Thank you, James. Excited to be here.
0: So obviously... With you being in predominantly, being in the U.S., you are in a kind of a minority sport to begin with. How does that kind of self-doubt, kind of uh, how would I word this, present itself? Because obviously, it's it's not a mainstay of be it basketball, uh, American football, and baseball. How does that put you in kind of self-doubt on and kind of been on the back foot from the very get-go?
1: Yeah. And I would say, especially being a female in a male dominated space, I think it's more so that than football being a minority to American football, baseball, and basketball. I would say that that's been the hardest thing for me. Like when I first started coaching at the youth level, I really felt, um, Like, like there, I was only one of maybe three female coaches in the club that I worked for. And I had, I did have self-doubt that I wasn't good enough because I got paid less than other, than other coaches. And I see it with the girls too. And that's why I do what I do because I want the girls to get rid of their self-doubt and have the self-belief that it took me a while to get when I was their age.
0: But why is that ultimately that self doubt there, Shay? Because, it, well, not hist- well, historically, the American female team has done better than its male counterpart and kind of punched way above its weight vis a vis because of obviously oh, soccer did have a foothold back in the 80s, lost its popularity, went into the doldrums, and then has reappeared with obviously the MLS. But obviously, mm-hmm. Why do you think that the female portion of the game has been more successful than the males when probably the popularity of the sport has grown Mm -hmm. similarly in uh, Euphoria because of the Mm -hmm. World Cup you had back in 1994?
1: I think it's grown more for the women's side because for for girls here like soccer is one of the biggest most popular sports for for females whereas for males they're focusing more on basketball on American football and on baseball. So I think when at least for for what I've realized and I've noticed is boys that start out playing soccer or football they they'll play it at a young age but then it becomes not cool to do. So then they go focus on the other sports that are predominantly, you know, the majority in America. Right. Whereas I think female athletes, soccer is the primary sport or at least one of them. So I think that's why female soccer and, and the US women's national team has been so successful here as as females, because that's the main sport that girls play here, or at least one of them. Right? So I think that's why there's has been a gap between the the women's and the men, the men's team here, is because more girls play the sport than boys.
0: So shouldn't they have more self belief in themselves to be to kind of progress and be obviously not necessarily progress as a player? It could be progress mm-hmm. as a coach because, as you know, a good player doesn't always make a good coach
1: well, they should be more, they should not have self-doubt, but that's how girls are. Our brains work totally different than boys. We are constantly comparing ourselves to other people. We overthink things. We want to be well-liked. If we do something wrong, we blame ourselves. Whereas boys, they just go out there and play. So the mindset of a a boy and a girl athlete is totally, totally different. And girls have a lot harder time with their minds and their confidence because we just overthink everything and we want to be perfect. And I think we have this expectation to be perfect, but it's something that we're never going to live up to. And so I think that's the reason why we're not confident or we have this self-doubt in the sport. And it's not even just for sports. It's for everything in the workplace. I think it's just this expectation of perfection that we will never live up to.
0: But ultimately, it isn't competition to some degree, obviously not going to the, to to the realms that we were talking about, perfectionism, that's a bit, that's kind of your overreaching and I think, be it, I think male athletes do do it to a certain degree because they're striving towards probably from a youth level to be reaching, be it the NBA, mm-hmm. the, um, the NFL, just for example, it's like, And the minority that is going to get there is, I think, a microcosm of everybody that has that belief that they're going to get there. So do you think because you're comparing and contrasting against your counterparts, that obviously they kind of diminish their own ability? So they obviously and I'm one for doing this. So I might have a female character characteristic as in downplaying the positives and you will fixate solely on the negative.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like you were saying, like competition is, is absolutely important, right? Like I am one of the most competitive people that I know, but there's a difference between competition and comparison and girls, like you said, they focus on the negative. They focus on, well, she did this. She's better than me. And they, they downplay their own abilities And they focus on everyone else's, like, the good parts of them. And they focus on the negative parts of themselves. So I think that's where the whole comparison thing comes in. And honestly, like, the girls that I've coached, a lot of them don't have that competitive spirit. And I think a lot of it for girls is that they're so worried about about what other people are going to think of them. And they don't want to be seen as, like... The bully, or they don't want to be seen as bossy, and so they kind of st- take a step back. Even though they maybe deep down are very competitive, but they take a step back because they don't want to be disliked by their teammates.
0: Yeah, but as, as you and this you, is this
1: is at the youth level.
0: But as yeah. you know, as you progress, you need to have that killer instinct because you won't progress. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. So that's what I'm trying to teach girls to: don't compare yourself, have self confidence, and be competitive like if you want to be the best if you want to have fun you have to go out there and compete and not worry about what other people think of you because at the end of the day it doesn't matter what other people think of you
0: do you think that some female athletes are still living decades in the past as to you need to confine to this stereotype
1: absolutely i mean obviously the stereotypes aren't as bad as they used to but they're still there they're always going to be there
0: well uh uh from that do do you think it's a bad thing when they they do it from a, a media perspective as girls or women's' we'll use soccer or football versus the men's is just called that in itself like that's the it's football and that's it Do you think that's kind of derogative then
1: i don't know i I feel like that's tough like for me personally it doesn't bother me. Um, but I know it bothers a lot of people. So personally, I don't really think it's derogatory. Um, for me, it's just kind of like a separator, I guess, like, but then you could also argue, well, why don't you call it men's soccer and women's soccer, not just soccer and women's soccer. So I see both sides of it. But for me, I personally don't take a lot personally, so it doesn't bother me.
0: Well, I think, I think from a personal perspective, I think when well, well, the World Cup was only just last year,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think, well, there was elements, there was cheating that started to come into the game, but before the tournament, they said to the root, to the core of the core values of this, of the sport, it was closer to its origins than saying the man that looking to dive. Uh, obviously, I don't know if it's, it's a myth or it's, it's just folklore that it's in within people's, male's contract that, you know, I need to be able to fall over. Whereas the women's game was a little bit more, uh, how would I say this? To, to the root court, the core, the core value of the game was, you know, fair play, sportsmanship mm-hmm. was all there. Whereas they were probably cut, cu- cutting a fine line between obviously what? it's it's competitive, so it's winning and losing. So you you're gonna take those marginal gains. But do you think that is more from a youth level that it's more from a female perspective, it's more it's more grounded in terms of it's it's looking to give the girls and the young women those attributes that you want to see in society, which we're at the moment we're not we're starting to not see again in terms of com- camaraderie uh sportsmanship game not games because that's cheating um and trying to instill <laughs> that element of fair play where you yes you want to beat the other person but you're going to give them the respect that they do
1: and yeah they, i mean they, they give them- for, yeah i mean for sports in general like i believe that sports has a great ability to teach you know kids a lot of great life skills leadership Work ethic, like that kind of stuff, that can help them. I feel like it is a little bit more rooted in female athletics, and as opposed to male athletics, when it comes to the sportsmanship and the fair play and that kind of thing.
0: Why do you, Why do you think it shows up more in women's sports than men's? Is it because of? There's less ego in it, possibly. I think,
1: yeah, I think ego is a lot of it, and also I think. The media plays a big role. Like, if you were to take, I feel like the media, if, if a woman does something that's maybe not sportsmanlike and a man does the same thing, they're going to bash the woman way more for doing that thing. Whereas for the, for the male athlete, it's just like, oh, you know, that's just part of the sport. But for a female athlete, it's like, oh, like she's, she's got bad sportsmanship. She shouldn't have done that. So I think the media and how they perceive the, you know, what, I guess the the bad things that happen. I feel like they put more weight on the bad things or they put more focus on female athletes and male athletes when they do something wrong.
0: Do you think they're vilified more than?
1: Um, I don't know if I'd say vilified, but but I just think that like, I don't know, even know if, if, if people are aware that it happens, like if they mean to do it, but I just feel like, like I said before, I think it comes down to the, to the expectation. Like women are expected to be good sportsmanship, to have good sportsmanship, to be nice, to play fair. And on the other side, they don't, I don't think they have the same expectation for male athletes. Well, They should do. They should but I don't think they do.
0: But do you think it's because it's built, unless this is going away from sports a little bit, do you think it's because the society as a whole, whether you want to see it or not, is still, still stuck in its way of being a bit too chauvinistic then?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously we've gotten better as far as equality goes, but I think it's not just sports. Like you said, it's society. I think it's just how you know, our own, our own biases and the media's own biases.
0: But coming back to your story now, Shay, why do you think that you had elements of self-doubt and I'm not saying lacking in confidence, had lower Mm -hmm. confidence in yourself and your ability? Where did that come from?
1: For me it came from like I got injured when I was 12. I had uh, surgery on my ACL. I was out for 9 months. And so when I came back when I was 13, 14 years old, I was I think comparison was a big thing for me, but even more than that, I think it was fear of making mistakes of being yelled at by my coaches, by my dad. So I think that is the biggest thing was I just I just didn't want to make any mistakes. And whenever I did make a mistake, I just kind of shut down. I didn't know how to respond to mistakes. So I think that was the biggest thing for me.
0: How does an athlete return mentally from an injury? Because I was fortunate enough for pro- probably most of my career, if they weren't minor, they weren't that big a deal. They were like just how for you because that's a very serious injury injuring your ACL as a child. Is it more difficult than than coming back as say somebody that's maybe professional and being in there? Is it more difficult as a child to come back from injury?
1: I absolutely think yes. I mean, I've I've had surgery when I was in college, too. It wasn't as bad. But for for a kid, it's like a lot of times they don't have that mindset. They don't understand that they work that the work that they put in while they're injured, like their physical therapy, that that's going to have a huge impact on on the future of their, their career. Like for me, I didn't put enough, put enough work in and now I can't even bend my knee all the way because I didn't put enough work in when I was 12 years old. But if, but when I was in college and I, I like worked my butt off to get healthier on the field. And, you know, I think, yes, it's the physical, like you got to work hard. I also like the mindset piece of realizing that when you step back onto the field, you're going to be terrified that you're going to get injured again. I was so scared that I was going to get injured again, but just trusting yourself and trusting your body and your doctors that you are ready to get back. And it's going to be a process. You're not going to step back on the field a hundred percent. You may have to change the way you play a little bit, but realize it's going to take time. It's going to be a process. That's what I wish I would have known when I was injured at 12 years old.
0: And the injury that you you had in college was it the same knee then, or the or the other one?
1: Yeah, same knee. Three surgeries on that same knee.
0: And do you think it it was that much weaker as a result of not doing the work at twelve then, or is that just speculative?
1: No, I think um, I think if I would have done the work at twelve, I think it was more of a mobility thing more than a strength type thing. Um, I did get my strength back. I lost a lot of speed, but I don't know if there was anything I could have done about that, to be honest. I think because I had my surgery at such a young age, um, you know, I, I do, I really don't know why I lost my speed, but I would love to be able to bend my knee all the way. So that's like, I don't really think it affected my play so much, but it affected like little things that I want to do, like kneeling on the ground. Right. So, yeah.
0: and, and from a positional perspective what position did you play then center mid so you needed you needed you needed the pace to be able to because obviously well workhorse mm -hmm. of a team
1: and actually before i got hurt, i was i was playing i was playing forward striker and then i lost a lot of my speed right so i i kind of got moved to the midfield center midfield. And then I got moved to like center back and I had to stop relying on my speed so much. And I had to learn the game better. I had to learn how to kind of not react, but be proactive on the field because I wasn't as fast as everyone else.
0: But that, but having been changed from one position to the, to another, to another, does that not help you as a coach to be able to give a more rounded picture to the, to the coach, uh, to the player, should I say because ultimately you've made that transition and most people, myself included, even at school, I always saw it as a negative, or you put me in defense because of certain Mm -hmm. qualities that, okay, I have a disability. So I I would be put in defense, but you're putting me back there to take away some of the inabilities that I have. But I think I saw that as one. I did actually see the positive is that, okay, well, uh, I think like futsal, there is an offside and mm-hmm. things like that. So you can use your, the perception of you to an advantage. So I, I think in that one tournament we did play, I played striker. So it's like, well, they're going to have the perception while well, you're disabled. So you're not going to be very good. So, so, so mm-hmm. a long story short, I obviously changed a lot of people's perspectives of me based on. Uh well there's no offside, so I can use that to my advantage. Is not don't need to use pace. But I think coming back to the early yeah. story of school being put in defence, I saw that as a positive because ultimately if I go in defense or or, or goalie mm-hmm. this, the, the agility I can use as my strength and there is no element of pace. There is to a certain degree as it has as the sports evolved, but what it was those positions wouldn't be, have to be as athletic as they probably do have to be now.
1: Yeah, I think that kids, when they get moved around, they do see it as, like, something, they're like, oh, man, I'm not good enough for the forward or I'm not fast enough or whatever it is. But when you look at it, it's like the more positions you can play, the more versatile you are, the more ver- versatile you are, the more valuable you are to the team. Like, you should want to be that player that your coach can literally stick anywhere on the pitch to play whatever position is needed, right? Like for for the U.S. women's team, it's like Crystal Dunn is the most versatile player on the team. She can rock it at playing defense, and then she can also do the same thing playing forward. So being versatile and learning how to play other positions is only going to make you a more skilled player and also a smarter player because you know the responsibilities and the roles of each position.
0: But I think ultimately, would it be in a Euro- well, predominantly European game? And it's mm. built around defense most of the time. But I think it has probably taken some of the American stereotypes from the sport as to be more offensive. So it's more entertaining to watch. Mm. Obviously, VR aside, that's, I think, ultimately, well, it's it's still up in the air when when that season's going to start again in, in multiple countries. but. I think we were the only one to be, it was kind of going the opposite way. Everybody else would be awarding more offensive play with technology. In the UK, we seem to be going the opposite way as to we'll take a, we'll chop this goal off for like millimeters. It's like, well, if it wasn't for the camera, that's not offside. But I think what you talked about there, Shay, in terms of the overall versatility of a player, I think is quite nice because I think if you can look at a positive like that, that that's you. it doesn't matter if you come off the bench. You are as uh, the New Zealanders do with their rugby; it's like impact players. It's like
1: mm-hmm. you
0: might be the uh, the first person off the bench, but if you're as good as the person starting from, okay, mm-hmm. we're talking the top end of the of the sport now that has a massive impact because that person is fresh and they're virtually as good as the player that they're replacing. So if you are able to look at it like that, you take advantage of, of people that have been on the field, be it, for argument's sake, 80 minutes already, you're fresh. You go, you can take advantage of any little slip-up they make, bang. You, you you It doesn't matter if you're a midfielder, uh defender coming off the bench or a corner or a striker, you take advantage of that little slip-up and it could be Uh, that one mistake that one player made that entire game
1: Mm -hmm. exactly a lot of times those players that sit on the bench to start the game like they don't realize how big of an impact they can have when they come on the field if they come on with high energy like a lot of times especially for youth they're like they see it as a bad thing that they're a bench player and then they get on the field and they don't realize like if I go out there 100% I can really like change the tempo of the game so I think it like, I think it was Anson Dorrance um, that said like, they're not bench players, they're game changers or impact players. I can't remember exactly what he said, but like they're, they literally, they change the game, you know, when they step on the field with that, those fresh legs, legs, like you said.
0: Well, it's an ego trip. And I think you've been there. I've mm, definitely been yeah. there. It's like, yeah, it's like, what? I'm, I'm on the bench, but I'm better mm. than this person.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I've been there for sure. Yeah.
0: But I think, I think this is where you won't, obviously for your kids may not, they might not start doing it. This is where I think I would implore people listening, but this is where you've got to speak to the coach as to where can I get better? And they will tell you exactly A, B, C, D. This is what you're doing right now. This is where you can actually help the team get better. And you put your ego aside and kind of say, well, okay, am I doing xyz and ultimately Mm -hmm. if the answer is no it takes a lot of guts to probably do that because most people won't want it's like well i'm going to approach a player uh, approach a coach and and ask where am i falling short it takes Mm -hmm. a bit bigger person to be able to do that and obviously you can do that at a younger age that mentality switches very very quickly and you you see the positive like we're talking about and you probably leap and you and I definitely we talk about psychology 10-15 years ago it was not wishy-washy but it's like woo-woo stuff it's like nah, that's not important mm-hmm. it, right. it's the physical and and the, the the diet and that's it the mind is not important right. I control the mind if I'm in a head a positive headspace, I'm in control but I think and this is where people say to me, I, I like your positive energy and I'd like to be a carbon, co- this isn't their words, but I would like to be a carbon copy of you. It's like, you don't want to be a robot. You don't want to be me. Yes, there's attributes of me that you can find within yourself. And that's a, 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 what we're talking about in terms of leveling leveling up that that level of confidence you have in your, your own ability in yourself you don't want to be, you don't want to be me. I I, I I, was talking to a client last week about it. It's like, you mm. you, you, show the good, the bad and the indifference. Like, no, I don't. I show the good. I sometimes get more vulnerable, but there's certain mm. aspects of my life. I, I, I'm either not comfortable that you can either deal with as a society mm. or I'm not comfortable yet to be able to unwrap, and kind of expose myself to the outside workshop I think everybody is to a certain extent like that so I think yeah people need to be a little bit more vulnerable and, and approach their coach and say well can I get better obviously probably you did at a collegiate level because it's it's trying to get to the professional level mm. you're more inclined to well, ask questions because you're in that kind of environment anyway, within uh, the collegiate environment.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, that's something that I teach. I don't care how old you are. I I teach that to my players to go talk to their coach when they want to get better, when they want to get more playing time, because it's just a good skill to develop to number one, improve your communication skills, but number two, like be okay being vulnerable and be okay, like speaking to authority right and i think that communication can solve a lot of problems whether it's communication between teammates or coaches and parents or parents and and kid um so i always say always say if if you want something to change you have to make it known you have to communicate it or it's not going to happen
0: do you think that's a a learned behavior or, or it's something that you can um you're born with ultimately like the communication in, in from a sport perspective, because obviously you've got to be fairly vocal on a football or soccer field anyway, no matter what position. And then I'll give some perspective to people. For me, I obviously went from an individual sport to team sport, and I had to learn that. So it's like
1: mm.
0: you can kind of hide away in a t- in an individual sport or having one other individual kind of say, well, the only person has to hear me is the person in front of me or whereas team they're kind of, well, James, you need to emphasize your voice so people can hear you. It's like, well, and this is maybe where I should have probably said to them, well, that's, I've never had to do that. I've never had to say my ball or something like mm-hmm. that. Or right. I, I could, I could kind of go, well, as long as it's a command and the other person can hear me, it doesn't matter how softly uh tone uh it be. Whereas when you go into the team sport, You've got to project your voice a little bit more and kind of be coming back to what you point you said earlier in the episode of, um, girls questioning themselves on that. Do you think they, some females or or, or girls from a perspective, they feel that they can't be that kind of machismo or or kind of bullyish tone what would it would it cuz obviously if you 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 do it enough that's intimidating for somebody else
1: yeah well obviously i think definitely communication is learned but i think there are communication styles i think they can be changed but i think our communication styles are kind of what we're born with as far as like me personally i am not very loud if i try to yell across the field no one's going to hear me Um, so my communication style is a lot different, but I've had to learn to communicate and how to communicate differently. So, and I, and to your last point about like, yes, I think girls are afraid of being too loud or being too boisterous or whatever it is, even though that may be their personality. But I think our personalities dictate our communication styles. So yes, you can always get better at communication, but don't try to Communicate in a way that doesn't reflect your personality.
0: And do you think from, from, a, you talk about communication, this is where your sport is probably most, the most difficult in terms of being able to, uh, you've got to be very ingenuitive in terms of getting messages on the field. Obviously, at the young age, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. as such as important, but be it, we think of basketball, America football has always stopping in play. So to be able to get messages on the, on the field, obviously in football with the, with the earpiece in the helmet. But other than that, there's stoppages in play that you can, the coach can have more of an impact, uh, at more uh, quick instances. And then the only time you're going to get a stoppage in play is maybe halftime, very serious injury mm. or when they've, Bought in you know uh, because of inclementum weather so be it they're probably water breaks. Right. So that's the only time that you're seeing the coach can kind of say, well when, when this is this whatever scheme system that we're playing isn't working we need to change it to to whatever formation to be able to capitalize what, whatever the opponent's doing but from a youth perspective how do you kind of adapt your style of coaching? from going from a training environment or practice Mm -hmm. environment to then games? Because obviously you have more control on one aspect compared to the other.
1: Yeah. So for me personally, since I don't yell a lot, I can't reach my voice across the field. It's really about the stoppages and when players come out. So So before we start the game, it's like, okay, here's what the game plan is like really nail that down. And then when players come out, I'll use them as messengers sometimes. So, whether it's they specifically need something to work on, or maybe I need to shift things a little bit on the field, shift a formation, whatever it is, when I have a player come out, I'll coach them on it. And then they'll kind of go and shift things around on the field. When they get back on the field, if I can't personally communicate it to everyone, you know, especially the people on the far side, like they're like, what? I don't know what you're saying. So, that's pr- how I've done it, is using the players when they come out to make a lot of different coaching changes. And then, like you said, halftime, it's like you got in a youth game halftime, you got five minutes to make any adjustments and, and, you know, talk to the team and talk to individuals to make the necessary changes. So for me, coaching games was, it was a little bit tougher because a lot of other coaches I coached against, they could just yell across the field and make those changes. But for me, number one, I didn't want to. And number two, like I couldn't. So I had to adjust my communication style on on the field.
0: But coaching at a youth level, you talk about you know shouting across the field and now coming to the child themselves. If they don't respond well to that change in voice tone now, because obviously you've got to uh, project the voice a long way, with your style of coaching, do you see it more more difficult, more challenging coaching at a youth level versus where you were at collegiate level that people are gonna the the coach got a little bit longer time to get to know you so that's can get you get to know the personality and the style in which you respond so do you think it's more difficult coaching at the youth level
1: um in a sense like you said because you don't know them as well as a person and how they respond to communication but for me no because i am really 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 good with kids and I know how to communicate with kids. I know how they like to be talked to. So personally for me, I don't think so. I think it would actually, I don't think it would be harder at the collegiate level because I've done both Um, and I just kind of change my communication style to both. But I feel like I'm very adaptable in the way that I communicate to a 12-year-old versus an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old.
0: Which do you get more fulfillment out of then? Obviously that's a difficult question.
1: That is a difficult question. Um, I guess from my experience alone, I would say the youth level. Um, but yeah, I think I just have more fun at the youth level because I, I can be more fun and I can be more silly. And I feel like at the higher collegiate level, yes, I could be myself, but also I had to be a lot more strict and, you know, communicate in a different way. So that is like, I do enjoy that as well. But I think as far as fulfillment goes, I would say the youth level.
0: Do you think because of ultimately the youth level being so closely to be recreational or like you're talking about happiness and enjoyment, do you think obviously, because you, you can bring the element of fun, uh obviously there's probably a competitive element in it with the US. I know they've changed it over here that it doesn't count. Whereas that brings it's own little difficulties. Whereas that, okay, that it doesn't, there's no winning and losing. So ultimately some people don't get hurt. Whereas the ones that are winning all the time, well, what's the point? Cause I'm, I'm winning. I'm not getting any benefit from that. But it also, I think from, from uh probably going forward, it doesn't still, it doesn't instill to anybody winning and losing mentality. As, as That's how life works. You've got to, there's got to be a winner. there's got to be a loser so to take that away probably diminishes a little bit of um, the aspect of where life's going to take you and ultimately that's an argument in itself and a bit of a tangent for everybody Mm -hmm. and everybody will be on one side of the fence or the other but from Uh your basis do you think having that fun element the happiness is a good thing because ultimately as long as for as long a period of time as they can enjoy the sport is is the is the better better for it because ultimately um it is time to hang up the boots obviously when you don't enjoy any sport
1: right i mean like yeah the most important thing for kids is to have fun but i don't think that you either can have fun or you can be competitive i think you can have both um, I know you can have both, and I believe that both are extremely important. Um, but yeah, like you said, when you don't have fun anymore, like there's no point. And for me, like my goal is to keep as many girls playing and having fun as I possibly can. Like because I know that soccer and sports in general has so much to offer a female athlete with improving their confidence and their leadership, like we talked about earlier. So my ultimate goal is to to teach them how to enjoy the sport while also being good at it because that too is like when you have fun usually you play better when you play better you have fun right and so it kind of all ties together
0: but how do you keep and this is a difficult question now shay both happiness at a certain level, of and people can't see my hands, but keeping up at a constant level, uh, at the same level of happiness and competitiveness. Because ultimately, if somebody is for whatever reason diminished in that because they're not playing well or they're benched or they feel that they're better than somebody else, that's obviously their confidence and self self-doubt is going to creep in so how do you kind of keep an even keel with both of them and kind of get people to be adaptable to kind of well i'm not starting today so what do i need to do to keep my competitive level up but i'm so happy that i'm in a, i'm in the team
1: mm-hmm. i mean i think at an individual level the more confident you are then the more you will enjoy the game while also being competitive. So, I think that the solution for that at an individual level is confidence, is self belief, right? Because, like I just said, if you're confident, then you're going to have fun. If you're confident, you're going to be able to take getting benched or getting feedback or getting criticized, right? Which allows for the competitive piece. But as like an organizational or a coaching perspective, it is hard. It's it, You got to have a, a balance of pushing the kids um, and pushing them to compete and pushing them to get better and making each other better. But you also can't do it in a way that diminishes or embarrasses people. And it's hard because there is, I think, such a fine line between competitiveness and comparison. So I think it's finding the hey, let's be competitive, but we don't need to compare ourselves. Which again, I think it comes down to competitiveness is um, not necessarily egotistical, but comparison is.
0: That's very that's very true. But do you think there is an element of egotis- egotism to get to be competitive? Because this is where. From the outside perspective, looking in into the sporting bubble, people or society view sportsmen and women as very self-centered and selfish.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there obviously is the ego is involved with competition. I think the ego is involved with everything that we all do. I don't think there's many people in the world that don't have an ego. We obviously have an ego, but there's not many people in the world that don't let their ego Um, affect what they're doing. So the ego is a huge part of what we do. But I think when it comes to competition versus comparison, competition is, is I think like wanting to do better in the positive side of it. Whereas comparison is like, I just want to do better so that I don't look bad.
0: So when you coming back from injury, you were more, you were more worried about being compared to the player you were before the injury and as well as once you've come back if i make a mistake they're going to compare me See in your head ultimately mm-hmm. is where the problem is Yeah. versus my my peers do you think that's where the problem was at like you at 12
1: absolutely yeah and i think that's where the problem is at for a lot of kids it's crazy how how many girls i work with and when i ask them like what are your your negative thoughts or your limiting beliefs and probably 80% of them like every single time will say I'm not as good as her or I'm not good enough. And that's a, that's comparison, not good enough for what, or I'm not good as good as her, or I'll never be as good as her.
0: Yeah. But ultimately this is where it's not self-talk, but be, you know, motivational mm-hmm. quotes. I think the best one is uh, would I think it's with like a mind on it. And obviously you've got to put yet ultimately yeah Mm -hmm. did i did i think i was going to be the sports person that i became at that age i had the belief that that's what i want to do did i have the Mm -hmm. realism that it was going to come true no i think 15 16 where we were kind of saying well this is a possibility Mm -hmm. okay this door is slightly ajar let me open it uh, and see where it takes me whereas i think you, you talk of of the comparison i think as adults we're very uh easily swayed to the comparison because be it for the aesthetical appearance um wealth
1: mm-hmm.
0: and all things like that are, that are very negative we don't want to be very supportive of each other so it's like well kids all right the kids are okay with um being supportive of one another for the greater good what 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 aspects do we learn from each other growing up that we go away from that so it's like well why are we going towards jealousy and envy where we're quite content that link uh, being at the same I'm going to use mm-hmm. this loosely because it's te- probably technically not true. Being at the same level as kids, obviously there's going to be people that are slightly better than you, yeah. slightly worse than you, and you'd be maybe centre ground. But you're content with, okay, as you com- compare, get more competitive, oh, I want to be as good as them. I want to stay better than this group, but I don't need to compare. And I think for me, I've... It's. It, I think it is that internal dialogue you have to have with you, yourself because ultimately, people will say that they lack that motivation. It's like, well, that's not true. You're not lacking in any, uh, be it confidence, motivation, belief. You've got to a certain level. You've you've got to show up every day. And put in the work nobody's putting a gun nobody's putting a metaphorical gun to your head to kind of say mm-hmm. well you need to do this i think that mm-hmm. is the difference between joe blogs on the street and the athletes that do progress it's like well yeah. you want to show up you want to do it it brings you that happiness that you talked about shay in terms of it, it it it, it brings not a wholeness, but it's a part of you where you feel kind of free to be able to express yourself, be it, okay, midfield it's a little bit easier to do it because it's like painting mm-hmm. on a canvas to so be it, spray ball passes around everywhere, uh, and setting people up from that basis. Whereas I think when you say comparison, if you can make a positive spin on it as to be competitive, yeah be it, mm-hmm. I don't know who your role model was for you growing up, be it a lot of kids have got historically be like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. no, no matter what their sport is, they want to emulate their role models. So it's like, well, right. if you can use the comparison to
1: mm-hmm.
0: you don't want, and, and I'll quote Kobe before, before he died, he didn't want to be the next Michael Jordan. He wanted to be the next Kobe Bryant. He wanted to be right. his own in his own image. So I think if athletes are listening to that, it's like you, you've got, it's going to waver the motivation and the confidence because we are human beings. And we've got to remember mm-hmm. that we're not, we're not robots. Obviously athletes, you might be included, but I know for me, I lost sight of that and I became very robotic for long mm-hmm. periods of my career. And it's like, well, did you really truly soak in that moment? It's like well, mm-hmm. I've got memories, be it for in my head, pictures. But did I really truly soak up that moment in time? I probably didn't. So it's like mm-hmm. it's not a regret because I can't do anything about it. But I could have made a better light of that situation in terms of kind of experiencing every fleeting moment because it was it could be gone. Like you, you say you had an ACL injury that could have been your mm-hmm. your career done
1: exactly there
0: there and then. So I think. Yeah, I think yes. You need to sometimes be robotic because that's where we put the hours in, and that's where the repetition mm-hmm. comes into place. Where it's easy to kind of yep. recall back to it, but you need to enjoy that moment because you don't know whenever it's going to be your last.
1: Exactly, it's about enjoying the process, right? If you don't enjoy the process, you're gonna, you're never gonna make it to your so-called destination and is there really a destination I don't know I think life's total there is no destination like there's no destination in life it's just your journey so you have to find the motivation whatever it is to continue on your journey and do it in a fulfilled way because if you're not fulfilled you're not going to keep keep grinding or whatever it is that you're doing
0: well, I think that goes nicely in terms of what you talked about earlier in terms of perfectionism. People are, mm-hmm. s- s- deem that their result goal or target is perfection yeah, yeah but as an athlete you know that's not going that's not true. yes, we have ultimately a national championship a uh, championship game, or whatever sport you play that is the target to peak for that specific specific moment in time but you still got to enjoy the process in terms of yes there's going to be elements of of practice or training that you don't like and obviously they you go through them not through the motions but you Mm -hmm. grind through it anyway because ultimately you'll still eyeing up that specific end of the the rainbow kind of aspect whereas I think you need to probably defer from that in terms of Enjoy every ounce of the process because ultimately which do you enjoy more, the process or the result? because if you don't win, you will not you will not enjoy the result uh, and you will probably dis- you will probably look back as coming back to mm-hmm. the the confidence and self-doubt, the what ifs, and that's mm-hmm. the whole beast another beast in itself because it's you're going to beat yourself up as well, did I do enough? And ultimately, if you know, deep down, kind of going in and out and enjoying every day as it comes, you actually can, well, did I do enough today? Yes. Did I bring the best version of myself today? Yes. I think win or lose.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Nobody likes to lose, but I think you can resting assured in yourself that i did the best i could i i I showed up every day i gave every ounce of sweat that i could i couldn't do anything more the other person the other team was better on the day
1: yeah and that's the thing is when you don't do that and you lose there's no worse feeling in the world feeling that you didn't give it your all and then you lost and then it's just regret And that there's no, not many worse feelings in the world than regret, you know? So it is about like every time you step on the field, you never know if it's going to be the last time you step on the field. One day it will be the last. You don't know when that day is going to be. So enjoy the process while you're there. And when you get to your so-called destination, realize that you're just going to have to keep starting over again. Once you get to your destination, there's going to be another destination and another and another. So it's a continuous journey.
0: I think also, Shay, it is, and I don't know if you and I never, in terms of maybe you might journal, but from a sports perspective, you never journal in terms of, um, they talk about, you know, the the peak and the mountain, motivation is very upwards. But then because you don't write it down, you forget how you did it. So I think if you can enjoy the process, Write it down as all the steps that you actually did. Yeah. You've got something to go back on. Oh, that's what I did as to this is how I got to level two. This, this is mm-hmm. how I'm going to have to do to get to level three. Bob's so going to have to put a little bit more effort into it to be able to get to the, to the next level. And I think you do probably forget certain aspects. It's like, well, okay, be it, um, from a well, me being a coach as well but in a different field i have to remember as well what attributes can i take from sport to put into business and and there are crossovers and you talked about competition that's one that needn't it does rear it ugly head occasionally and and it's mm-hmm. more it's not competition as i put it it's more comparison as to what, what is what is somebody else yep. doing why are they succeeding more than i am but i think where people have to take sense of this it's like well they're on a different they're on another journey they could be exactly on a a completely different track from where you're at and they're kind of living their own struggles uh, Mm -hmm. uh versus your own you're on i don't know we'll use the level example again i'm on level two you're on level three but you're living the same scenarios in your own head as well I'm seeing somebody right. now level four and they're, 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 whereas it's, if you can get out your own way, mm-hmm. which is across the board, doesn't matter, sport, life, uh, and this is one I was reading like in the big leap, we like to self-sabotage ourselves anywhere we can. Mm-hmm. If we're going to get too much, much happiness, what can I do yeah. to be destructive to, to, to bring me back into comfort? Whereas like, well, why do we do this because we thousands and thousands of years ago we were in we lived in uncomfortable situations it was, every day was life or death so you're thinking well why does the cortex work that way that it can tear us down but it can't mm-hmm. give us solutions as well obviously the we we only use i think what is 80% of the brain anyway so there's that 20% mm-hmm. that probably some people more than others can tap into and you are a level above everywhere else in terms of that ability to slow things down in sport and kind of see it before it happens is is a skill in itself and that's something you can you can aspire to have
1: absolutely yeah that's the thing is like we have to realize that we're all on different journeys like you said and maybe this girl started five months before you, five years before you. And yeah, you see all the good thing that's happening, but in the world we live in now, you you like the person can only, they only want to post the highlights of their life. They only want you to see what they want you to see. You don't see the bad stuff they're going through, the, the things behind the scenes. You don't see the work they're putting in. So it's like you're only comparing yourself on a superficial level. You don't really know what they're doing. So you can't compare yourself because you're on totally different paths and journeys.
0: But why does an athlete do it in the first place to compare themselves to it's an ex and be, I will use myself because it's easier because I know the external shouldn't be a motivator because it's about rewards, awards, praise mm. and things like that versus the what is it the positive of the reward that you will get by accomplishing it you would think that would be just that would be enough but just to 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 drive you a little bit but obviously other athletes
1: are
0: mm. coming back to Kobe Bryant before he passed mm. he was ruthless he's like it's like well you are borderline probably um what's the one I want to use almost psychopathic in terms of from a sport. You're that ruthless. You uh, would not bat an eyelid in terms of you're going to, it doesn't matter. And his work ethic, you're thinking you're crazy. It's like obviously training for, for games, Uh, obviously you want to get better. You Mm. need to be doing whatever it takes to be, better than the next individual yes but most people aren't hardwired like that
1: no and that's why he got to where he was and that's why mj got to where he was and that's why the rest of the 99 percent of the world is where they are is i don't know it's i don't know what it was inside of them but i don't know they they had it whatever it is
0: do you think with michael jordan per se being cut would be the the um the trigger because ultimately
1: mm-hmm. myself yeah, included
0: yeah. you have a chip on your shoulder where when people say you mm-hmm. can't achieve that i obviously yeah. changed change my 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 mantra later on in life that's not a good thing because that's an external motivator uh yes yes i have a chip on my shoulder however um, what I kind of get people to do now is i I don't live in the past, whatever you say I learned from back then. I might relive it but i'm not I'm not content with staying there that's happened it's their their pictures their memories it's 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 uh still ultimately me mm-hmm. but I'm not gonna stay there i'm I'm content with where I'm at in the present and kind of go forward. But do you think from your perspective, your opinion on personal opinion, Shay, that that's probably what set him up for for life in terms of, okay, I'm never going to be cut from a team ever again.
1: Yeah. I think it was, like you said, an external driver, maybe um, where it's like, he hated that feeling so much and had something to prove, whether it's proof to himself or proof to the world. But, you know, I think a lot of people can do that and it can destroy them. Um, but if you have the right mindset, I think it can fuel you like it did MJ or Kobe or whoever it was. But
0: so uh, the last question then on that note, then Shay, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away,
1: what would that be? Well, we talked about comparison a lot, so I'm going to go like, don't compare yourself to other people, compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And be better than you were the day before.
0: I think that's a great one to leave leave on. So once again, Shay, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast.
1: Thank you, James. I appreciate it and I enjoyed the conversation. So thank you again for having me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends. And do let Shay and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at shayhadu. So that's S. H A Y H A D O W and at James O Roberts11. And again you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And in addition, if you had any additional questions, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to check out her website at www.alphagirlonline.com and on Instagram at AlphaGirlSoccer. And as always, don't forget to check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources, but not forgetting I've also started a new Facebook group, especially for the podcast, which you can find by typing in The Mindset Athlete. And last but not least, and one especially for the amputees listening to this show, I've recently created a Facebook group called The Amputee Coach, fitness and nutrition for amputees to help you lose 10 plus pounds so make sure to check those links out they will be in the description you can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general so once again thanks for listening and i'll catch you next week for another episode of the mindset athlete podcast